Chapter Three, Part Two of the General History of the Pirates, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rain. The General History of the Pirates, Volume One, by Charles Johnson. Chapter Three, Part Two. The seventeenth of November, seventeen eighteen. The lieutenant sailed from Kikatan in James River, Virginia, and the twenty-first in the evening came to the mouth of Ocracoke Inlet, where he got sight of the pirate. This expedition was made with all imaginable secrecy, and the officer managed with all the prudence that was necessary, stopping all boats and vessels he met with in the river from going up, and thereby preventing any intelligence from reaching Blackbeard, and receiving at the same time an account from them all of the place where the pirate was lurking. But notwithstanding this caution, Blackbeard had information of the design from His Excellency of the Province, and his secretary, Mr. Knight, wrote him a letter particularly concerning it, intimating that he had sent him four of his men, which were all he could meet with in or about town, and so bid him be upon his guard. These men belonged to Blackbeard, and were sent from Bath Town to Ocracoke Inlet, where the sloop lay, which is about twenty leagues." Blackbeard had heard several reports, which happened not to be true, and so gave the less credit to this, nor was he convinced till he saw the sloops, whereupon he put his vessel in a posture of defense. He had no more than twenty-five men on board, though he gave out to all the vessels he spoke with that he had forty. When he had prepared for battle, he sat down, and spent the night in drinking with the master of a trading sloop, who, t'was thought, had more business with Teach than he should have had. Lieutenant Maynard came to an anchor, for the place being shoal and the channel intricate, there was no getting in where Teach lay that night. But in the morning he weighed, and sent his boat ahead of the sloops to sound, and coming within gunshot of the pirate received his fire, whereupon Maynard hoisted the king's colors, and stood directly towards him, with the best way that his sails and oars could make. Blackbeard cut his cable, and endeavored to make a running fight, keeping a continual fire at his enemies with his guns. Mr. Maynard, not having any, kept a constant fire with small arms, while some of his men labored at their oars. In a little time Teach's sloop ran aground, and Mr. Maynard's drawing more water than that of the pirate, he could not come near him. So he anchored within half-gunshot of the enemy, and, in order to lighten his vessel that he might run him aboard, the lieutenant ordered all his ballast to be thrown overboard, and all the water to be staved, and then weighed and stood for him, upon which Blackbeard hailed him in this rude manner. "'Damn you for villains! Who are you?' and from whence came you? The lieutenant made him answer, You may see by our colors we are no pirates. Blackbeard bid him send his boat on board that he might see who he was. But Maynard replied thus, I cannot spare my boat, but I will come aboard of you as soon as I can with my sloop. Upon this Blackbeard took a glass of liquor and drank to him with these words, Damnation seize my soul if I give you quarters or take any from you in answer to which Mr. Maynard told him that he expected no quarters from him, nor should he give any. By this time Blackbeard's sloop fleeted, as Mr. Maynard's sloops were rowing towards him, which being not above a foot high in the waist, and consequently the men all exposed as they came near together, there being hitherto little or no execution done on either side, the pirate fired a broadside, charged with all manner of small shot. A fatal stroke to them, the sloop the lieutenant was in, having twenty men killed and wounded, and the other sloop nine. This could not be helped, for there being no wind, 
they were obliged to keep to their oars, otherwise the pirate would have gotten away from him, which it seems the lieutenant was resolute to prevent. After this unlucky blow, Blackbeard's sloop fell broadside to the shore. Mr. Maynard's other sloop, which was called the Ranger, fell astern, being for the present disabled. So the lieutenant, finding his own sloop had way, and would soon be on board of Teach, he ordered all his men down for fear of another broadside, which must have been their destruction and the loss of their expedition. Mr. Maynard was the only person that kept the deck, except the man at the helm, whom he directed to lie down snug, and the men in the hold were ordered to get their pistols and their swords ready for close fighting, and to come up at his command, in order to which two ladders were placed in the hatchway for the more expedition. When the lieutenant's sloop boarded the other, Captain Teach's men threw in several new-fashioned sort of granados, vis case bottles, filled with powder and small shot, slugs and pieces of lead or iron, with a quick match in the mouth of it, which being lighted without side, presently runs into the bottle to the powder, and as it is instantly thrown on board generally does great execution, besides putting all the crew into a confusion. But by good providence they had not that effect here. The men being in the hold, and Blackbeard seeing few or no hands aboard, told his men that they were all knocked on the head, except three or four, and therefore, says he, let's jump on board and cut them to pieces. Whereupon, under the smoke of one of the bottles just mentioned, Blackbeard enters with fourteen men over the bows of Maynard's sloop, and were not seen by him till the air cleared. However, he just then gave a signal to his men, who all rose in an instant and attacked the pirates with as much bravery as ever was done upon such an occasion. Blackbeard and the lieutenant fired the first pistol at each other, by which the pirate received a wound, and then engaged with swords, till the lieutenant's unluckily broke, and stepping back to cock a pistol, Blackbeard with his cutlass was striking at that instant, that one of Maynard's men gave him a terrible wound in the neck and throat, by which the lieutenant came off with a small cut over his fingers. They were now closely and warmly engaged, the lieutenant and twelve men against Blackbeard and fourteen, till the sea was tinctured with blood round the vessel. Blackbeard received a shot into his body from the pistol that Lieutenant Maynard discharged, yet he stood his ground and fought with great fury, till he received five and twenty wounds, and five of them by shot. At length, as he was cocking another pistol, having fired several before, he fell down dead, by which time eight more of the fourteen dropped, and all the rest, much wounded, jumped overboard, and called out for quarters, which was granted, though it was only prolonging their lives for a few days. The sloop ranger came up and attacked the men that remained in Blackbeard's sloop with equal bravery, till they likewise cried for quarters. Here was an end of that courageous brute, who might have passed in the world for a hero, had he been employed in a good cause. His destruction, which was of such consequence to the plantations, was entirely owing to the conduct and bravery of Lieutenant Maynard and his men, who might have destroyed him with much less loss, had they had a vessel with great guns. But they were obliged to use small vessels, because the holes and places he lurked in would not admit of others of greater draught and it was no small difficulty for this gentleman to get to him, having grounded his vessel at least a hundred times in getting up the river, besides other discouragements, enough to have turned back any gentleman without dishonor, who was less resolute and bold than this lieutenant. The broadside that did so much mischief before they boarded, in all probability saved the rest from destruction, for before that Teach had little or no hopes of escaping, and therefore had posted a resolute fellow, a negro whom he had bred up, 
with a lighted match in the powder-room, with commands to blow up when he should give him orders, which was as soon as the lieutenant and his men could have entered, that so he might have destroyed his conquerors. And when the negro found out how it went with Blackbeard, he could hardly be persuaded from the rash action by two prisoners that were then in the hold of the sloop. What seems a little odd is that some of these men, who behaved so bravely against Blackbeard, went afterwards a-pirating themselves, and one of them was taken along with Roberts. But I do not find that any of them were provided for, except one that was hanged. But this is a digression. The lieutenant caused Blackbeard's head to be severed from his body, and hung up at the bolt-spread end. Then he sailed to Bathtown to get relief for his wounded men. It must be observed that in rummaging the pirate's sloop they found several letters and written papers, which discovered the correspondence betwixt Governor Eden, the secretary and collector, and also some traders at New York, and Blackbeard. It is likely he had regard enough for his friends to have destroyed these papers before the action, in order to hinder them from falling into such hands, where the discovery would be of no use either to the interest or reputation of these fine gentlemen, if it had not been his fixed resolution to have blown up together when he found no possibility of escaping. When the lieutenant came to Bathtown, he made bold to seize in the governor's storehouse the sixty hogsheads of sugar, and from honest Mr. Knight twenty, which it seems was their dividend of the plunder taken in the French ship. The latter did not long survive this shameful discovery, for being apprehensive that he might be called to an account for these trifles, fell sick with the fright and died in a few days. After the wounded men were pretty well recovered, the lieutenant sailed back to the men-of-war in James River in Virginia, with Blackbeard's head still hanging at the bolt-spread end, and fifteen prisoners, thirteen of whom were hanged it appearing upon trial that one of them, v. Samuel O'Dell, was taken out of the trading sloop but the night before the engagement. This poor fellow was a little unlucky at his first entering upon his new trade, there appearing no less than seventy wounds upon him after the action, notwithstanding which he lived and was cured of them all. The other person that escaped the gallows was one Israel Hands, the master of Blackbeard's sloop and formerly captain of the same, before the Queen Anne's revenge was lost in Topsail Inlet. The aforesaid hands happened not to be in the fight, but was taken afterwards ashore at Bathtown, having been some time before disabled by Blackbeard in one of his savage humors, after the following manner. One night drinking in his cabin with hands, the pilot, and another man, Blackbeard, without any provocation, privately draws out a small pair of pistols and cocks them under the table, which being perceived by the man, he withdrew and went up on deck, leaving hands, the pilot, and the captain together. When the pistols were ready, they blew out the candle, and crossing his hands he discharged them at his company. Hands, the master, was shot through the knee, and lamed for life. The other pistol did no execution. Being asked the meaning of this, he only answered by damning them, that if he did not now and then kill one of them, they would forget who he was. Hands being taken, was tried and condemned, but just as he was about to be executed, a ship arrives at Virginia with a proclamation for prolonging the time of His Majesty's pardon to such of the pirates as should surrender by a limited time therein expressed. Notwithstanding the sentence, Hans pleaded the pardon, and was allowed the benefit of it, and is alive at this time in London, begging his bread. Now that we have given some account of Teach's life and actions, it will not be amiss that we speak of his beard, since it did not a little contribute towards making his name so terrible in those parts. 
Plutarch and other grave historians have taken notice that several great men amongst the Romans took their surnames from certain odd marks in their countenances. As Cicero from a mark or vetch on his nose, so our hero, Captain Teach, assumed the cognomen of Blackbeard from that large quantity of hair which, like a frightful meteor, covered his whole face, and frightened America more than any comet that has appeared there a long time. This beard was black, which he suffered to grow of an extravagant length. As to breadth, it came up to his eyes. He was accustomed to twist it with ribbons, in small tails, after the manner of our Ramillies wigs, and turn them about his ears. In time of action, he wore a sling over his shoulders, with three brace of pistols hanging in holsters like bandoliers, and stuck lighted matches under his hat, which appearing on each side of his face. His eyes, naturally looking fierce and wild, made him altogether such a figure that imagination cannot form an idea of a fury from hell to look more frightful. If he had the look of a fury, his humors and passions were suitable to it. We shall relate two or three more of his extravagancies, which we omitted in the body of his history, by which it will appear to what a pitch of wickedness human nature may arrive if its passions are not checked. In the commonwealth of pirates, he who goes the greatest length of wickedness is looked upon with a kind of envy amongst them, as a person of a more extraordinary gallantry, and is thereby entitled to be distinguished by some post, and if such a one has but courage, he must certainly be a great man. The hero of whom we are writing was thoroughly accomplished this way, and some of his frolics of wickedness were so extravagant, as if he aimed at making his men believe he was a devil incarnate. For being one day at sea, and a little flushed with drink, Come, says he, let us make a hell of our own, and try how long we can bear it. Accordingly he, with two or three others, went down into the hold, and closing up all the hatches, filled several pots full of brimstone and other combustible matter, and set it on fire, and so continued till they were almost suffocated, when some of the men cried out for air. At length he opened the hatches, not a little pleased that he held out the longest. The night before he was killed, he sat up and drank till the morning with some of his own men and the master of a merchantman, and having had intelligence of the two sloops coming to attack him, as has before been observed. One of his men asked him, in case anything should happen to him in the engagement with the sloops, whether his wife knew where he had buried his money. He answered that nobody but himself and the devil knew where it was, and the longest liver should take all. Those of his crew who were taken alive told a story which may appear a little incredible. However, we think it will not be fair to omit it since we had it from their own mouths, that once upon a cruise they found out they had a man on board more than their crew. Such a one was seen several days amongst them, sometimes below and sometimes upon deck, yet no man in the ship could give an account who he was or from whence he came, but that he disappeared a little before they were cast away in their great ship but it seems they verily believed it was the devil. One would think these things should induce them to reform their lives, but so many reprobates together encouraged and spirited one another up in their wickedness, to which a continual course of drinking did not a little contribute. For in Blackbeard's journal, which was taken, there were several memorandums of the following nature, found writ with his own hand. Such a day, rum all out. Our company somewhat sober. A damned confusion amongst us. Rogues applauding. Great talk of separation. So I looked sharp for a prize. Such a day took one with a great deal of liquor on board, so kept the company hot, damned hot, then all things went well again. 
Thus it was these wretches passed their lives, with very little pleasure or satisfaction, in the possession of what they violently take away from others, and sure to pay for it at last by an ignominious death. The names of the pirates killed in the engagement are as follow. Edward Teach, Commander. Philip Morton, Gunner. Garrett Gibbons, Boatswain. Owen Roberts, Carpenter. Thomas Miller, Quartermaster. John Husk, Joseph Curtis, Joseph Brooks, Nathaniel Jackson. All the rest, except the two last, were wounded and afterwards hanged in Virginia. John Carnes, Joseph Brooks, James Blake, John Gills, Thomas Gates, James White, Richard Stiles, Caesar, Joseph Phillips, James Robbins, John Martin, Edward Salter, Stephen Daniel, Richard Greensale, Israel Hands pardoned, Samuel Odell acquitted. There were in the pirate sloops and ashore in a tent near where the sloops lay, twenty-five hogshead of sugar, eleven tierces and one hundred forty-five bags of cocoa, a barrel of indigo, and a bale of cotton, which, with what was taken from the governor and secretary, and the sale of the sloop, came to twenty-five hundred pounds, besides the rewards paid by the governor of Virginia pursuant to his proclamation, all which was divided among the companies of the two ships, Lime and Pearl, that lay in James River, the brave fellows that took them coming in for no more than their dividend amongst the rest, and was paid it within these three months. End of chapter 3, part 2